So again, this is Psalm 98. A psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound uh, of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of our Lord. Well, I appreciate you spending time in the Psalms. Uh, Again, what we're after is we're uh, looking for a cause for thanks. Uh, the many, many reasons for which we as Christians are called to thank God. Uh, and so that's what we're, that's what we're looking at. And sometimes, like last week and this week, it takes us to a psalm that isn't, uh, historically, uh, a psalm of thanksgiving. Uh, yet, uh, there is something about our marvelous God for which we owe Him thanks. But I want to begin this morning uh, with a name you perhaps haven't heard. Uh, his name is Wilfred Funk. Uh, he was uh, a, a publisher. He was a president of a publishing house in America in the first part of the 20th century. Uh, he was a, also a pretty fair uh, poet. But for about 50 years in American history, uh, this man was known to be one of the smartest men in the country. Uh, he was known as a lexicographer. Uh, he would uh, write and edit uh, dictionaries and grammars. Uh, he was for a long time the editor-in-chief of the Literary Digest, a magazine that was read by many. Uh, and uh, he was uh, thought to be one of the smartest men in the country, Wilfred Funk. Now, he knew the smart people of his day. He's editing. He's visiting with them. He's receiving articles that he's going to publish. And he shared uh, this. He said that he has uh, gathered, uh, uh, he wrote dictionaries, and he has gathered uh, around himself uh, some of the greatest geniuses in America, people for whom everyone would agree that they are geniuses. And uh, Wilfred Funk sat down with them, and he said, well, tell me, what is this word genius? What's a genius? Well, the man writes dictionaries he wants to know. And Wilfred Funk shares this. He says that of all the geniuses that I spoke with, not a single one of them saw the core of being a genius in their talent or in their inspiration. He says, if truth be told, visiting with all of these geniuses, what they all wanted to talk about is work, hard, brutal work, drudgery, and the capacity for taking infinite pains. How interesting is that? He didn't believe that there was such a thing as a genius. Just a lot of people working brutally hard. Now, 
Nobody might say that Psalm 98 is a psalm that's specifically about hard work or drudgery, but I think that there's, there's something there that we need to draw from Psalm 98 that is exactly about hard work and drudgery. Let me tell you what I think the psalm is telling us and then uh, unfold it uh, together. Uh, the psalm is telling us that Christians are actually commanded. There's command words in this psalm. Christians are commanded to constantly renew their praise. Constantly. Uh, almost uh, with uh, uh, drudging willpower. Constantly to renew their praise for God's work of salvation both inside them and God's work of salvation in the whole world. Christians are commanded to constantly renew their praise. We see that in this psalm. Now look how the psalm begins. Uh, there's a command to sing to the Lord. The psalmist is just assuming that we have a, a relationship with God, and it's not just a talking relationship, it's a singing relationship. Uh, that, that odd feeling of singing in public is actually uh, the very core of walking as a Christian. The poet opens by commanding us to sing to the Lord. But not only are we commanded to sing to the Lord the kind of relationship with God that is not merely talking to Him, uh, but singing to Him, uh, a heartfelt desire to express uh, whatever it is we're expressing in a very uh, thoughtful way, in a very emotive, sincere way. It's singing and not talking, but uh, we're not just talking to God. There's uh, something else that the poet is assuming. Christians sing to God... But Christians sing to God together. Because the command in verse 1 is a command that's addressed to a plurality. To a large body of people. To the church of Jesus Christ. We're all called to be singers. Communicating to God. uh, Crying out to God. uh, Singing uh, melody, uh, poetry, uh, thoughtfully, sincerely with our brothers and sisters. And then even before, before leaving uh, verse 1, uh, we're, we're called to sing to God. We're called to sing to God as a, as a body of believers. But there's actually a reason for our singing that is in verse 1 of Psalm, 9, Psalm 98. You know, we're not singing to God because of the character of the psalmist. The poet has commanded me to do this, and so I'm going to do it. You know, we're not singing to God because of the poet's character, uh, the character to command us, but we're also not singing to God because of our own character. It's something I do. It's my great love for God. No. Why do we sing to God? Well, we do so, the poet says, because of the character of God, because of who He is. He possesses that kind of character for which singing is a natural response. Of course, we're commanded here to do that. And so in uh, in verse 1, uh, we're commanded to sing to God. We do that with brothers and sisters. We do that because of the character of God. But we also learn something about the character of God. For he has done marvelous things. Now, if I were to ask you, you know, why do you sing praises to God? 
The answer, I think, would be longer than this. He has done marvelous things. And I suppose when uh, someone who is not a follower of Jesus notices uh, this about us, that we uh, love to sing to our God, and they ask us why we do that, we might say something more than, he has done marvelous things. But here we have this, he has done marvelous things. Now, it's going to be expanded before verse 1 closes. And look what, look what marvelous things means. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Now, this is a little thorny, isn't it? It looks as though uh, working salvation, it can't be for God. It has to be salvation for him, as in the believer. Uh, but, it, but it is uh, God. Work salvation for God. Now, God doesn't need salvation. What does this mean? The the marvelous thing about God is that he has worked salvation by his own strength for his own purposes alone. When we think of God's work of salvation, that work belongs entirely to himself from beginning to end. It's all God. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Uh, End of the line of poetry. Now... There seems to me to be a picture of this elsewhere in Scripture, actually numerous pictures, but uh, my favorite picture is in uh, Jonah chapter 2. And here we have a man who's been captured by God. He uh, finds himself by uh, no will of his, but by the will of God, inside the belly of a big fish. And Jonah... Uh, articulates uh, a glorious piece of poetry uh, from the belly of that great fish. And you, you can read it in Jonah chapter 2, but, but listen to what Jonah says, uh, beginning at verse 7 of Jonah 2. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. A remarkable thing to say in the belly of a whale. Well, it doesn't say whales says, great fish, one of you little theologians will correct me, I'm sure. But Jonah goes on. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. How glorious are those words. Talk about a burden being removed from your shoulders, Christian. Remind yourself over and over again that you're not the worker of your salvation. That you're not the one who, uh, uh, who uh, guarantees that you stick to God and remain faithful to God. What he's begun in you, he will bring to completion. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. There's the message of Jonah's poem, salvation. It belongs to the Lord. And obeying the Lord, the great fish vomits him out. Now, here's the point. 
We're commanded to sing to the Lord about his marvelous things, but we actually need to know his marvelous things. And so we sing to the Lord because of what he has done of his own volition, of his own strength, uh, bringing it to his own purposes. Uh, That's the marvelous thing. And so we're commanded to sing to the Lord about his marvelous things, which means we need to learn about those marvelous things of God. We need to learn about his work of salvation. Uh, We need to learn about that work of salvation inside of us as, as believers. We need to learn about that work of salvation uh, uh, across the whole world. Uh, But as we're learning about God's uh, salvation, we are responding uh, with a song to him, to praise him. And then we're repeating the same thing again. We're learning more about God's work of salvation inside of us, God's work of salvation all around us, and we respond with singing, and we're doing it again and again and again. You see what's happening. I'll never be able to sing to God unless I know his marvelous things. Those marvelous things need to be a part of me. Now, here's what the poet is saying. I've left a very important phrase until now. And that phrase is new song. This psalmist is assuming that you and I will occasionally grow stale in our praises to God. Does that offend you? He assumes it. That's the newness of the new song. It's not a new song in that it's a newly invented song. It's new in that it is a fresh song because we grow stale. And our song to God loses its freshness. Our awareness of God's marvelous things, well, it tends to be far from our minds and our hearts. And so uh, we grow stale, and the psalmist is saying to us, uh, do it again, do it again, do it again. That's why what this psalm is telling us is is that we are commanded to constantly renew our praise for God's work of salvation. The renewal is the focus. The doing it again is the focus. And then the psalmist is going to break from that for just a moment. We're singing a song because of the character of God. We forget that character of salvation in ourselves and in the world. We need to renew uh, that song, and so it is a new song, and then it's another new song, another new song. But in verses 2 and 3, this, uh, this uh, work that we're to offer, if you can call it work, singing about God, uh, God actually uh, changes in verse 2 in such a way that the poet now presents God as actually speaking And how interesting it is that we need to know about God's work of salvation before we're able to sing to him. How am I going to know about God's work of salvation? Verse 2 says, he makes himself known. He's speaking to us. Verses 2 and 3 aren't simply uh, to someone who is not a believer. God is speaking his salvation, yet they continue to uh, not listen to him. God is continually reminding us of the greatness of salvation inside of us and salvation abroad. The word salvation shows up in verse 1 and in verse 2 and in verse 3. The salvation that God works, uh, the word from which the the name of our good king comes from, uh, Yeshua, uh, that work of salvation is in verses 1, 2, and 3. And then in verse 2, another image comes to the stage, and it's the image of God making himself known. And so look in verse 2, the Lord has made known. 
the Lord he has revealed uh, in the sight of the nations. And then look at verse 3. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so we're singing uh, to God about his character to save by his strength alone. And we have a great help to do that in the fact that God is revealing himself, making himself known. You know, he's the first one to act. You know that, Christian. Yes. I think that sometimes we uh, live our lives as Christians and we begin to function as if we're Christians because of our own good decision-making. But he's the first one to act. And and as he acts, he he does it with a bit of noisiness. You just look at verses 2 and 3 and you have all of these words about God uh, revealing himself, making himself known. He's the one who makes himself known. And verses 2 and 3 also say he does that with broad scope. He does it expansively in the sight of the nations. Those would be uh, the neighbors of Israel, the neighbors of the original hearers of Psalm 98. But he even goes beyond the the side of the nations. Verse 3 says, uh, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And the original audience would hear Psalm 98 and they would say, I know who who the psalmist is referencing in verse 2, the nations. I know something about nations, their neighbors or those people. They're different from us. But verse 3, these are people I don't even know. Ends of the earth? God's cry of salvation goes that far? How remarkable it is that we think that we are the ones who've made such a great decision. But God's made himself known. We think of ourselves as evangelists, but he's the evangelist. He's captured you. And the message of the gospel goes to places you have never been, nor will you. This is a God who is speaking. How will you know his marvelous things Praise God that he speaks, makes himself known. Let me say one more thing before moving on. Because right in the, right in the middle of this, uh, this uh, verses 2 and 3, this uh, God who is speaking, uh, making salvation known, right in the middle in, in verse 3 is a reference to the house of Israel. Now, if you think of who is hearing Psalm 98, a non-believer will hear Psalm 98 and they would think this is very good news. God is speaking loud enough to hear or loud enough for me to hear. But if you're someone who is a member of the house of Israel, you would hear this also as good news that God is speaking loud enough for me to continue to hear. When the poet references the house of Israel right in the middle of the nations and the ends of the earth, I think what the poet is doing is the poet is centralizing uh, his thoughts on, on who, who it is who is a Christian who might say that God has already shown me salvation and I've had enough. I'm done. I got it. I have more than bullet points. So, God, you can move from me, who professes faith in Jesus, and you can go to the nations and you can go to the ends of the earth. Your work here, well, it's done. And the poet would disagree. There's an experience of salvation that actually shows evidence of God's continued work. Uh, There is God's work through the Holy Spirit uh, inside each and every Christian that they might might be enabled to sing a new song, but that they might know more about the marvelous things of God. May we not be bored with the work of salvation. 
Of all people on the earth, we as Christians should uh, be learning more and more and more about the great salvation of God. We experience it. We taste it every day. So the people of Israel have no excuse, but the people today have no excuse. God proclaims salvation around the world to the nations, and he continues to proclaim salvation to your own heart. And so Christians are commanded to constantly renew their praise for God's work of salvation, a work of salvation that's not merely out there to the unconverted, but a work of salvation that has an enduring capacity to do work in us right now as Christians. Now, in verse 4 of our psalm, it seems as though the, the, the poet is shouting louder, God is shouting louder. We, we have this grand expression of God making himself known in verses 4 through 9 uh, that break our imagination open. How loud does God proclaim his work of salvation? Well, he proclaims it to all the earth. And the poet, he makes a command in verse 1, sing to the Lord. But here in verse 4 and 5 and 6, he pours out command after command after command. It's like the floodgates are open. The poet has been describing this is the work of salvation. You should sing to him about that work of salvation. It entirely belongs to him. And then in verse 4, the whole psalm cracks open. Make a joyful noise. Break forth into joyful song or joyous song. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre. Make a joyful noise before the king. All of those verbs are commands. If you thought I was kidding about singing to God, think again, the psalmist says, and God says. So many commands that the commands uh, roll outside the doors of the listening church and into all creation so that all creation beats us to the punch. Many times, all creation begins the song of praise before even those in the church. Let the sea roar in verse 7 and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Creation beats us to the punch. This is an extraordinary psalm because what we're being commanded to do uh, rests entirely upon what God is doing and creation knows that. Now, Why do you think this language of creation is involved here in Psalm 98? It seems as though there would be uh, examples of others who have sang the praises of God, those from Exodus 15 who who have done that very thing uh, on the heels of deliverance from Egypt, uh, singing God's praises. The poet could have gone to that and shown us a great picture singing, but he goes to creation. Let the sea roar. Let the rivers clap their hands. Why does he do this? I think there's two reasons. The first is that this, uh, this singing of creation, music of praise offered by God's uh, handiwork, uh, this actually is a sign of God's covenant faithfulness. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, I'm sure is quoting Psalm 98. 
Uh, Isaiah is talking to a begrudging audience, uh, people who should know better, people who have received the benefits of God's great grace. And he's speaking to this audience, and he's speaking to them about the faithfulness of God, that they themselves might renew their song. And what does he say? Isaiah says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's a promise. Don't you see that God's work of salvation has been inaugurated, but it's not complete. There's more to come. He's almost, he's, uh, Isaiah, he's drawing his flock to hear the good works of God, that they would be drawn to renew their song. That's what the poet is doing to you and I this morning. And so uh, creation is involved in Psalm 98, I believe, because uh, it is a sign of God's completed work of salvation. It's something that only God can do. Only God can restore all of that which he has made, including creation. Now, that's the first reason creation language is here. But there is a second reason that creation language is here in Psalm 98. You see, Christians falter in their prayers. Christians grow dull of heart in their praises. Christians become forgetful. But creation never does. The psalmist is saying that the praises of creation are uninterrupted until the great return of Jesus. Creation praises and praises and praises. And Jesus returns uh, and and the the very establishment of a restored kingdom is something that creation uh, knows is going to happen and expects it to happen. Now, this is funny language to be sure. I mean, creation... uh, clapping hands and uh, hills, uh, singing. It's poetic language to be sure. But the poet is showing us a creation that is not interrupted in their uh, praise of God and expectation of the great return of Jesus. But Christians, we're not, we're not like that, are we? We falter in our praises. Christians are commanded to constantly renew their praise for God's work of salvation. And we grow stale. Do you feel that? You should feel that. If you don't feel that, then you don't understand Psalm 98. Would you hear the words of Psalm 98 and assume it's for someone else? Don't. It's for you. G.K. Chesterton tells this uh, story in... in, uh, Uh, his book, Orthodoxy, uh, in which he is making an appeal for uh, God's character in creation. And part of that appeal is that uh, creation keeps going. It not only is established, but is sustained because God uh, makes it uh, keeping going. God's that great sustainer. And as he's arguing for the sustaining power of creation, Chesterton offers an illustration of a child. You know this illustration. When a child uh, partakes of the benefit of a mom or dad uh, playing with them, and in particular, Chesterton says, throwing them in the air, uh, what does that child always say when the mom or dad's tired? You know what the child says. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. 
And Chesterton says God does this in creation. Creation continues to go forward because God sustains creation. And my message to you through, uh, through uh, Psalm 98 is that we're the kind of people who need to be told to do it again. Sing a new song. That's for you and for me. Did you praise God well this morning? Do it again. Did you think about God's work of salvation? Do it again. And I, I, I want to finish with just three questions that we all, we all need to walk out of this place thinking in light of Psalm 98. And the three questions, they're not easy, but think about them. As you think about these questions, the rationale for singing a new song for God's glorious work of redemption uh, should come pretty easily. The first question is this. Are you bored with the marvelous work of salvation? (laughs) Are you bored? Well, maybe you wouldn't use the terminology of boredom, but think about it. The work that God has done in your heart to draw you to himself, to reconcile you to him. Have you grown bored with that work? He's not bored. He's bringing you to completion. He's given you the guarantee of his work in the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit dwells in you. Are you you bored with God's marvelous work of salvation? Renew your song. Sing a new song. Because salvation belongs to him. The second question is this. Do you think that you're alone? This psalm is addressed to a body of people. All of us are, are together in the matter of needing to be reminded to sing a new song to God. Do you think that you're alone? Look around you. You have brothers and sisters that are receiving the same message. We have opportunities to help one another sing praises to God. And maybe what needs to happen is we need to, to interject a little bit more discussion of the marvelous work of salvation into our conversations. Don't think that you're alone. Yeah, brothers and sisters, and they're struggling the same way that you are. You are a part of a community of singers. Body of Christ, sing a new song. And then finally this. Do you think that the story of God's salvation is finished? Do you think you can take a snapshot of that work today and be done with it? Carry that uh, photo in your wallet. No one does that anymore. But carry that photo in your wallet, this picture of God's work of of salvation. Uh, And here it is. You produce the picture. You think the story's finished? It's not finished. It's greater and grander than you can possibly imagine. That your salvation is the most precious thing you have. Not your money. Not your uh, relationships. Not your family. Not your spouse. The work of salvation has been wrought into your heart? And did you think that it was finished? So three questions. Sing a new song. Are you bored with the marvelous work of salvation? Uh, Do you think that that, uh, you're all alone? And do you think that God's story of salvation is finished? Now, this is where the psalm takes us. It's a great reminder. We go all the way back to the beginning, and the command begins to make sense. I'm exactly the person that needs to be told, sing a new song. And so are you. Sing a new song. The work of salvation is far more than you imagine it to be. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we, we are looking at Psalm 98, and it, it reads like an admonition. 
something here to be done. There's, there's, there's command language all over it. And Father, we pray that you would help us to obey the command, to sing to you, to delight in your work of salvation. And so we ask you, Heavenly Father, uh, to help us uh, from being bored of your marvelous work of salvation. We ask that you would help us to uh, grow closer together as a community of singers needing one another's voices that we would sing a new song. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would remind us that the story of uh, of salvation, a story for us, a story, a story with a glorious, glorious finale. Father, there's more to see, and we pray that you'd remind us of that. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.